Hello, I'm Dermot McKeever, co-founder and CEO of Powerful Planet. Welcome to our podcast, Tipping Point. At Tipping Point, we intend to explore and promote regenerative solutions for a greener future. We are, I think, past the point where we can waste anything, not time and not resources. In every episode, we'll dive into the latest developments and innovations in the world of green energy with a special focus on harnessing power from non-recyclable waste. And so this morning, I'm delighted to welcome Richard Collins, who's the founder of CSR Accreditation. Morning, Richard. Good morning, Demo. Um, Pleasure to be here. Excellent. So tell me, how did your journey into the environmental sector start? Well, it's a, it's a bit of a, an odd route. My background is branding. Um, and um, we were, I've been very interested in sustainability outside of that. So, so a lot of the work I did was with companies that had a sense of purpose and value and were doing things to support the environment or to reduce the negative impact on the environment. And right back um, nearly 30 years ago, I did a piece of work for the Green Organisation. Well, no, I didn't. I did some work with Heathrow Airport and South Bucks District Council around noise pollution that went on to win a Green Apple Award. And that's when I was introduced to the Green Organisation. And I was so impressed with what they were doing. I suggested that we came and help them with their branding at, on a pro bono basis. And I've been working with them ever since. And the Green Organisation run the Green Apple Awards for environmental best practice, which I believe now are the longest continuous running environmental awards in the world now. And part of that was the um, Green Apple Awards for the built environmental, built environment and architectural heritage as well. So over the years, I've co-run, um, been involved, continue to be involved. Um, and about 12 years ago, um, the Green Organisation um, with our collaboration, in, initiated the International CSR Excellence Awards. So we were expanding from the environmental piece into the social piece as well. Oh, that sounds fantastic. And how do you think that, just before we talk about your business, how do you think that the that green imagery has impacted on environmental change? Well, it's an interesting um, question because the word green has been something that's come in and out of favour over that period of time. You know, have we moved on from the term green? Do we look at now sustainability and so on and so forth? But what I think we've seen, um, certainly uh, with the Green Organisation, who initially was set up to work with local authorities, was that the kind of um, applications that were coming in for the awards at the beginning were, were very, very simple things, you know, very light things. And over the years, we've seen those grow and grow. Um, and I, I would say especially led by the construction industry, who I think, you know, are, are, are more mandated, I suppose, to comply to better um, practices around the environment. So we have seen this year on year increase in, in scale and impact. Um, and, you know, especially um, with regards to organisations where this is, you know, still voluntary, there's no, there's no kind of um, legal requirement yet in certain in certain circumstances. So I think we've seen um, this being embraced. And I and I and I, I'm, you know, when we talk about uh, environmental and social responsibility, we always refer to David Attenborough's, um, you know, landmark television series, um, which exposed um, the, the the blue planet, which exposed um, the plastics in the ocean, and I think gave a lot of people a lot of 
citizens, people sitting at home watching television, the first insight into the significant damage that we were collectively doing to the planet and how that was having an impact on climate change. Um, and I think since then we've seen a heightened interest in awareness and of course bringing it right up to speed this year in particular um, with the wildfires and um, you know um, different climate patterns. Um, there's no doubt that, that the issues around green, green technology, green investment, green finance, green you know innovation has become louder and louder thank you for that and so and do you think that things like uh, greenwashing are damaging uh, you know our ability to help uh, the planet uh, and the environment start to regenerate oh absolutely but I, I i would also say that i don't think all greenwashing is intentional i think there's a lot of bad advice mm. out there a lot of poor education and I think um, from our point of view, we see companies really caring, really wanting to do the right thing. Um, but depending upon where they're getting the information from, the, the sustainability landscapes become very complicated lately with a lot of jargon and a lot of acronyms and industry sort of language. And I think it stifles yeah. a business's opportunity, you know, a, a attempts at doing the right thing. And so they may think they're doing the right thing. And then actually, perhaps it is more box ticking than it should be. And therefore, they can be opened up to greenwashing but i think there are more rigor coming into place now um, around organizations being able to back up the claims they're making and certainly this with the green claims code for example there's some some legislation that can help um you know discover businesses who are blatantly um greenwashing yeah i think uh, in our business we've come across some people there are people who are cynically greenwashing for their own agendas and and that's a small but they're large by scale and then there's lots of businesses like you say who are genuinely caught in some of that um who are actually trying to do the right things but as you say it is a confusing landscape yeah absolutely and and that's because i think partly because there are so many different interested parties and you know five years ago in fact i suppose and you know the idea of uh, green agenda, green commitments were, were relatively simple in terms of what people thought they could or couldn't do. But as we've moved, you know, into 2023 and then into 2024, we've got the race to net zero, and with that, brought up, you know, the requirement for your scope one, two, and and and, and especially your scope three reporting, which is putting pressure on organisations within supply chains to start reporting on behalf of each other's recording um, net zero commitments. And we've also got, um, again, um, some mandatory requirements, especially with the TCFD around non-financial disclosure reporting. So this stuff starting to come in. And then this is all being confused a little bit by the growing emergence of ESG, the Environmental, Social and Governance Agenda, um, and the confusion around what that is, what corporate social responsibility is, what social value is, what sustainability is, you know, where these things overlap, where they're relevant and so on and so forth. Mm. Yeah, I saw something. I was reading something at the weekend about um, in scope three that you would potentially have to account for the carbon footprint of your bank. So if your bank and banks tend to have quite a large carbon footprint because of of, of the things they fund, and that that could potentially come into your scope three emissions, which seems it's a bit difficult for a business to account for that. Yeah, and I and I think that this is where it gets confusing. I mean, from our understanding, your scope three is your direct relationship you have with your customer or supplier um, up and downstream in terms of 
where you're buying products and services from and where you're selling products and services to. So it really is about that relationship and nothing beyond that. Um, yeah. I would, I would, I don't know the detail here, but I would have said that you know the carbon footprint of your bank um, is relevant to your organisation and not an organisation you're dealing with. Yeah, no, I agree with that. So, but it, again, it's um, whether it's done cynically or it's, it's it's just happenstance. It's again, it's confusing if you happen to be someone who is genuinely trying to understand their scope emissions when you read stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what confuses things even more. I mean, our, our perspective is keep it simple, because if we keep it simple, and I'm not making it um, devaluing it by keeping it simple, it's about, you know, providing a framework that an organisation can act on and then start to show impact. And then once they're on that sustain, and I keep saying once they're on that sustainability journey, I do believe that in most cases, businesses, organisations are on a sustainability journey. But in many cases, they don't really know what the destination is. Sometimes they might be going backwards. Sometimes they're going around in circles. So there's that lack of clarity and navigation around, you know, where they should be taking their sustainability initiatives. And for and you know, there's this desperate determination that one five one size fits all in terms of a solution, and that really isn't the case. You know, every organisation is individual, and every organisation, while it has the common grounds or you know waste management and energy reduction and so on and so forth there are lots of nuanced you know uh areas that different organizations and different sectors will need to to focus on so if you're you know looking at medical waste on one hand or you might be looking at manufacturing practices or you might be looking at you know um travel that you know they're, they're very very different things and have very different impacts on different businesses Thank you for that. So um, tell us about CSR accreditation, how you started it and, and what sort of work you do with your clients. So thank you for that. Um, really, it's kind of coming up with an, uh, an antidote, I suppose, to this confusion um, around sustainability. It wasn't something we set off to do, but we, we're finding that that's the space that we're moving into. Um, initially, it was because of our involvement with the Green Organisation, we were asked to look at an accreditation for environmental and social responsibility about seven years ago, six or seven years ago, until our astonishment found that there wasn't one, not one that really addressed that holistic approach to sustainability. So there were things that looked at aspects, the environmental aspect or the social value aspect, but not something that was truly environmental and social responsibility. Um, and we decided we were going to take that space partly because we were keen in um, repositioning what CSR is because we were very uncomfortable with the word corporate and corporate social responsibility. I come my 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 first job, you know, as a branding consultant was at BP back in the late 80s, and you know, under, understood how corporate sustainability, corporate responsibility worked within a, an organisation like that. Sometimes for the good and sometimes not so much, especially with the greenwashing and the box ticking side of things. But we wanted the C to be more inclusive. So we wanted the C to stand for charity, for community, for climate, for citizen, for collaboration, for collectiveness, et cetera. So the important bit is the social responsibility that we have towards each other, towards the planet, towards our communities and so on and so forth. And the C could be changed to reflect the industry sector um, that, that you were involved in. And the idea that CSR is about people um, so it's about how we work together to reduce impacts. Um, so it's very important. This is a bottom up approach that's completely supported by, you know, senior management and C-suite and so on, so on and so forth. So we, we, we also wanted to look at 
a very accessible framework. So we did we defined the framework of four pillars, which are simply environment, workplace, community, and philanthropy. Um, and they are basic receptacles that most organizations will understand. And if you take, for example, the environmental pillar, you can start off a conversation with the business saying, what, are, what is your organization doing regarding its reduced impact on the environment? For example, do you have a waste policy? Do you ban single-use plastics? Do you separate your waste? Do you reuse, refurbish technology and so on and so forth? Um, and often before we finish that list of things, um, that organization, the people we're talking to will say, yeah, yeah, we do this and we do this. And before you know it, they're telling us all these things that they're doing that they probably hadn't really had sight of. And then when you bring that together with the other pillars, which all overlap, incidentally, um, organizations often are surprised just how much they are doing that they don't communicate or talk about. Mm. Yeah, I think, it's, as you say, there's, there, there must therefore be a large chunk of the educational and everything that you do. I think it's I think it's massively about education. Um, it's about awareness and it's also about reward and recognition rather than kind of using the stick. So with our accreditation model, we we, we determined to make that first accreditation an exercise of auditing and baselining, you know, getting that first bit right. What are you already doing? So rather than being prescriptive about it and, and, and sort of almost tell you what you should be doing, we're asking you, what are you? And then we can look at where the gaps are. And we can then support that journey. But the other mistake we made, I think, well, I said the other mistake, a single mistake we made was assuming that everybody knew what we were talking about. Um, and because yeah. everyone from a different language, I mean, people want to do this because it's the right thing to do or because it's going to win tenders or because it's about building a culture that people want to be part of there's lots of drivers for that and lots of language for it but we made an assumption that people knew what csr was and 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 that we needed to bring in some education so we did develop um a training program that was classroom based and then the pandemic put the end to that um so we took it online and that opened us up to a global market and and over the period of time, we've now got an automated um, training package um, that looks at um, aspects of environmental and social responsibility and is part of that educational program. Uh, and therefore, we feel that organisations then can kind of bring individuals within their organisation through a training course like this one and then create those sustainability ambassadors within the organisation that can help create the capacity to deliver. Because the other big problem is businesses and organizations saying we want to do these things but we don't have time we don't have the resources we don't have the people but you've mm. got to, you've got to build that in and that's where the other piece of um advice is that this isn't a race there's no knee-jerk reaction to this this is a journey that you do at a time that is relevant to your organization so build capacity engage your staff bring them on the journey with you create those ambassadors and then over time you will build processes that just become second nature. Yeah, do you think, do you find it easy to do with smaller businesses that are won by a person if you can get the, the MD, CEO, whoever on board, or do you find it's easy if they're bigger and they've got, you know, somebody who is in theory responsible for CSR, ESG or whatever they call it internally? Um, yes, I mean, it, it works both ways. The smaller businesses, the SME businesses, tend to be more flexible and dynamic. Um, and often mm. it's owner managers who are hands-on as well so so it'll be, it'll be driven you know by uh, an ambition to do the right thing and to improve 
the impact that that organisation is having um, on, on the environment and also to build, as I say, that purpose-driven culture that's going to attract talent um, and also um, create retention in terms of staff. So, so those smaller businesses tend to be more flexible and dynamic, more hands-on. And our assessors will say that on average, because we base um, our fee structure on how many employees there are in the business, and often the smaller businesses will deliver more environmental and social impact per head than the bigger businesses do. But of course, the bigger businesses look like they do more because they can throw more at it. Having mm. said those bigger organisations that may have a structure, may have departments, HR facilities, and so on and so forth, um, they may be driven to this because of a requirement to tender because they've got to do their non-financial disclosure reporting. So that so there's a kind of a pressure at a board level to do it. Um, but it might not be done as efficiently because, again, there's more red tape, there's more departments, there's more people involved um, and things can get kind of lost um, in, in the sort of in the in, you know, the red tape and so on and so forth. But so so there are very different things. Having said that, you know, we've accredited, you know, multinational global organisations and um, one we've just accredited um, called United Development, whose application was stunning. I mean, one of the best we've seen in a long time. Um, but equally, we've accredited sole traders who work from home office, who, who, who are just, you know, very passionate about doing what they think is the right thing. Mm, it's interesting. I mean, I think that the, the desire is there. I mean, it's very easy to get misled by the things you see online and things you see in the media. Um, you know, the polarised, you know, everything, with, it's all stopping and there's no problem. And everybody, you and I know that the answers are all sitting in the middle of that. Um, but it's good that the corporate world does genuinely seem to be trying to engage with the the issues. And is that the sort of response you're finding when you approach the first time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, as I say, it's not as if this is brand new. I mean, there mm. have been around, you know, environmental best practice going back 30, 40, 50 years, and certainly with things like the Clean Air Act and so on and so forth, it's not as if, you know, we're just coming to this. And it's just a question of how you can innovate. So I, I talked about the construction industry, and for a very long time, we've seen this with the Green Apple Awards, that they've that, that sector has been innovating, and, and partly because they have to respond to pressures from local authority tendering so that there's, there's a requirement that they do the right thing. Um, but along that that route, there's also been a lot of amazing green innovation. Um, so, so you know, processes and techniques and services and things that are completely and totally different and, and you know, quite cutting edge. So we're starting to see, you know, discussions around algae impregnated concrete, for example, uh, that, that will absorb carbon, looking at different ways in which we have, um, you know, arable land and solar land in terms of solar farms as, as well as arable farms. So there's, there's just some really exciting stuff, and especially around things like energy, um, you know, um, hydrogen, um, you know, efficient batteries, um, and then, of course, all the renewable energy, renewable side of things with time, um, wind and solar and geothermal. So there's all sorts of things going on um, that, that are you know, part of that state of play. I mean, it's constantly evolving and changing. And I think where we see the cynicism is possibly where you get involved in politics or because you just want column inches. I mean, the media likes to, to pull things down or likes to look at the negative. Uh, and mm. the interesting thing that we find that everything we do with organisations is about positive storytelling. It's a, it's, it's positive narrative. Mm. Provided back it up with story doing. I mean, that's the important thing now is is to to support the the work you're doing with the evidence that you're making an impact 
Yeah, I think it's sadly the human condition suggests that people tend to like disaster stories more than they like good news stories. But um, so what's the next big development for you guys on your proposition? Well, I, I, we're constantly growing. So um, the as I mentioned before, um, we, we are a quite a, a small micro business ourselves, but we have an enormous reach and the online training meant that we develop partners in different countries. I think we've got partners in 14 countries now and some of those are really be beginning to develop so we're now working uh, we already have csra arabia um, in arabic um, with all the training to support that and that's looking at the gulf states and arabic speaking countries and we're in the process of building csra north america now and again it's a different language it's a different mentality so it's a different different approach but underneath that the, the framework is the same and so on mm -hmm. so so we're kind of reaching out uh, around the world and we're finding there's a great appetite for that as well so um so it's just it's just doubling down and continuing to build our visibility and presence this year we've been invited to be um the sustainability partner for uk construction week and we'll have a stand at their events it's a four-day event at the nec and that's you know really kind of speaking to the construction industry and the and the um contractors and so on and so forth and uh we're also going to be at the um uk business show at um, excel so we're we're beginning to sort of you know tentatively as I suppose we've come out of pandemic I think for many of us we kind of almost forgot what what normal was in terms of business practice but it's getting back in the room with people it's networking it's talking it's 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 you know creating visibility around what we do and showing also and I think this is important that we are here to help businesses on a journey um, to future proof their businesses so it's about building sustainability into business so that there's that they've got a legacy as well um, and I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer that that environmental and social responsibility is a profit center. So there is that return on social investment. And I think if you get it right, you know, businesses will build that culture that attracts people, will win tenders, will build their reputational value um, and consequently will um, keep customers or attract customers, build that loyalty. So I think this is all about business. Um, it's about um, having those positive impacts. Um, and it's you know and, and we we do want to show the commercial value as well as the the social return on impact which is the the environmental and social value as well yeah there's quite a big media pushback on you know you can't be green and profitable and we we know for a fact that's not true um and and i guess you're seeing exactly the same thing yeah and i think that's where it gets into politics a little bit um i mean certainly in the us there's a there's a big backlash against esg from a kind of republican point of view and you know the fact that the money isn't going into creating profit for businesses whereas i think the thing is that's just scaremongering i i i think it's clear i mean you know on a very very granular level if you turn the lights off and turn your thermostat down and you know change to led etc etc you you immediately make savings on your fuel and energy bills i mean so so but but we often say to people, what's the cost of, you know, not retaining your staff, of increased absenteeism, of, of bad reputation, of losing tenders, not 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 securing investment. I mean, these are huge costs, and um, to my mind, it's it's a it's a it's it's a no brainer, you know, to be you know bringing this in. And the world is changing. This is what the future shape of business is going to look like, and it's mm. got, including you know, its impact. Not again, we talked a lot about the environmental side of things, which is a, which is absolutely critical. But, you know, if you take the ESG, for example, loads of focus on the E, but not enough on the S and the G. Without the S and the G, without people behind this, we're not going to achieve these goals. So you've got to bring people on the journey with you. And therefore, you've really got to address those social 
sides the social impacts as well and that's around gender equality and diversity inclusion mental health and well-being you know apprenticeships training all of those things they're all very important parts of the, the solution as well in terms of you know building that legacy for future generations and i guess thank you for that and i guess i think the um that sort of brings you full circle doesn't it because uh, you know starting in brand you know when people talk about all the time about what's the value of a brand and it is quite hard to understand what it is um, if you try and measure it in a monetary sense. But I guess that brands that are successful, um, they get followed by people who consistently buy that product. Um, and are you seeing that now? Do you think that brands with nature at, genuinely at their heart will survive and thrive over those brands that don't? Oh, uh, we're seeing it already. You, you only have to walk down Oxford Street and look in all the shop windows and all the all the you know messaging on the windows is around, you know, re, you know the reduced impact on the environment, on the sustainability, on you know the banning of single-use plastics and single-use products. I mean, there's a huge move, you know, on a commercial, you know, consumer point of view. But you know, from a B two B point of view, um, we're certainly seeing that. And yes, I mean, you're right. We used to say. Uh, what we still do say is that your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. And certainly 20 years ago, branding might have been about how great your products and services were and how much better you were than your competitors. Whereas I think your the, the, the language of brand today is about how responsible you are as a business. Um, and people will judge you on that. And that's that's what's making decisions, creating decisions in both people looking for jobs, in, in, in consumers buying products and services, and businesses buying products and services. And certainly we're getting, you know, for example, with procurement, if you think about the reduced carbon plan that the NHS is now using, you, you know, everyone who wants to be on the procurement roster for the NHS, you know, needs to have their, their carbon reduction plan put into place. So it's, it's, it's not just the brand thing, it's about, you know, the fact that, you know, you're going to have to do these things because they're required um, by, you know, the supply chain that you work within. Richard, thank you so much for that. Thank you for joining us on Tipping Point today. I uh, absolutely love that conversation. Uh, we look forward to working with you uh, much more deeply in the future. Um, and thank you again for the stuff that you've told us. Absolutely fascinating. Thank you. You're very welcome, Tim. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you.